Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for people inclined to take action in the age of coronavirus. As Americans and as Texans, we wonder about the choices we are personally making in this new world disorder. And because our state and federal governments have failed to provide the leadership necessary to help all of us make informed decisions, it sometimes seems like we're all on our own. But at a time when it's easy to feel helpless, we're focused on action. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and progressive activists in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country hold our leaders accountable and build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for this world. Welcome to Oh This World. I'm Antoinette Perez, and you are listening right now to our weekend grab bag. And we certainly have a lot of items in the grab bag for you today. Weekend grab bag. Woo! I was just waiting for the woo. Love a woo. Do it again. Woo! Woo! Um, in our weekend grab bag this week, we've got some good follow-ups for you, and then, as usual, our recommendations for how you might consider spending some time unwinding this weekend. Lucas Schaefer, how was your Friday shaping up? I woke up so early this morning for what, no reason. What is so early to you? Because I think you and I, so early is the same thing, like three, four. I woke up at four. Yeah. Just couldn't sleep. And I watched, I know we do our, our weekend wrecks at the end, but I'll just say this. I watched a movie called Ma, M-A. <laughs> Have you ever seen this? No, I haven't. It's not not very good, but it is quite bizarre. <laughs> is it on Criterion? No, it was on like HBO now. Okay. Um, we don't really need to. Okay. Octavia Spencer's in it, Juliette okay. Lewis. It it's it's not great. It wasn't a great way to spend an hour and a half this morning as opposed Fair. to I don't know, sleeping. Fair. Sleeping. Well, let me ask you this. I have also gone through now two periods of time in COVID where mm-hmm. I am waking up for no reason very early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you tend to fall asleep easily at night and then just wake up early? Yep. Or do you also struggle to fall asleep? No, I'm. I can be out like a okay, yeah, like me a damn too. light. Me too. I don't know what it means for you, but what it usually means to me is that there's something going on. I'm not even conscious of. Like consciously, I'm moving throughout my day very productively, very normally for me, and then something is getting yeah. me up in the middle of the night. Was could that be you state of Texas falling apart. Um, it could be the state of Texas and the nation falling apart. So why don't we, before we get into those yes, numbers and yes, the reality, yes. thank our excellent patrons. Thank you, patrons. These are folks who have signed up as official patrons of this podcast, Oh This World, on Patreon.com. And if you wanted to give that a check out, you could go to Patreon.com. That's P A. T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash oh this world pod. Our patrons are Nanette Fodell, Karen Griffin, Kyle Burkhart, Penley McQueen, and Mary Ward. We're so excited Woo, that thank you, you support us in all the ways. Thank you, thank you. We are going to move into the section of our Friday podcast where we face the numbers because it appears that so many people who are elected leaders in this country don't want to do that. So, Lucas, um, since we deal in reality, what is happening in our state and in our country right now? 
So I checked in this morning with the Johns Hopkins uh, Coronavirus Resource Center, which is how we've been getting our numbers the last few months for this show. Uh, we have close to 10 million, 9,654,269 confirmed cases worldwide. Here in the United States, 124,509 dead. In the entire world, 490,632 dead, and the United States has 124,509 of those people. So, a massive governmental failure. That's like 25%, right? Yes, we are 4% of the world's population, 25% of the cases, and as we've discussed many times before this just didn't need to happen this was not we're already in the rewrite where republicans are saying who could have known who could have known now we're now we're adapting no 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 we i i looked at this earlier in the week it was i believe 55 days ago antoinette we recorded an oh this small world Mm -hmm. about Republican leaders not wearing masks and why mm-hmm. they needed to wear masks. The first small, wasn't it? Yeah, 55 yeah. days ago. So 55 days. For them you mean to- the the very same person who was tweeting about being nervous about visiting his elderly father recently and whether masks would be enough and social distancing. Man, that, we that- didn't even get 5 minutes in without <laughs> Texas 21 Congressman Chip Roy being invoked. Yeah, I mean these guys they undermine public health officials. They didn't wear a mask. They made fun of masks. They brayed endlessly about the need to reopen the economy without any plan to keep anyone safe. And here we are. Here we are. So let me give you some other numbers um, in Texas, because Texas is in bad shape at the moment. So, Antoinette, I'm on the dashboard uh, for the COVID-19 dashboard for the Texas Department of State Health Services that's reporting that Texas has currently um, 55,125 active cases. As we've talked about many times before, it's really hard to say what's accurate since Texas was way behind in testing. Mm -hmm. Um, What we do know is Texas is getting out of control um, I'm not going to go through all of the newspaper articles about hospitalizations and ICUs filling up and all of that, but there seems to be widespread agreement that the rash reopening that Governor Abbott advocated for, that Chip Roy advocated for, was a bad idea, which mm-hmm. all everyone in the public health community was saying constituents were saying citizens were saying so today um after reopening allowing bars to reopen in texas greg abbott has shut bars once again restaurants are down to 50 percent capacity um i would not be sitting inside at a restaurant right now in the state of texas but 
That is a possibility. Um, if you're going to have a gathering of over 100 people, you need permission locally, which let's just not do a gathering of over 100 people <laughs> right now, guys. Um, there is a, a really nice timeline on Living Blue in Texas, which is a blog you and I have. I didn't know about until recently, but they've really had some great information, a timeline of Greg Abbott's coronavirus response. We will put that in the episode notes. I would encourage people to look at it. I'm not going to um, go through it right now, but it shows very clearly that this this response simply hasn't worked. And to me, Antoinette, the most infuriating part of this um, is what happened at the end of April, which is when the governor announced he was starting the reopening and was overruling the ordinances and decisions made by the elected officials in the cities of Texas. Because as we know, in Austin, in the other major cities of Texas, the elected officials in those places were doing a pretty good job of saying, hey, we need to take this seriously, you need to wear masks, you need to do this, you need to do that. And the governor, you know, Mr. Local Control... In March, he was into local control because it absolved him of having to say, wear a mask. But then by the time the end of April rolled around, he wasn't about local control anymore. They were always into local control until a local municipality does something that they don't like. And then, There's no part of their, their actions in no. this that's not infuriating. No. Um, so very... Um, Disappointing, but also very expected. I mean, I don't, you know, you undermine public health officials like Chip Roy did. You don't wear a mask. like You many. don't include public health officials in your task force of 43 people, most of whom are business people, advising the governor about how to proceed forward. So, you know, we're a, really? we're, a, we're a podcast of action, and I think the action we need to take, the action I plan on taking, is to wear a mask wherever I go, to shelter in place as best I can, understanding that, you know, we still have to get groceries, things still have to happen, maintaining social distance, and getting rid of these people in November. Unfortunately, the governor is not up for re-election in November, but Chip Roy is, John Cornyn is, many of these officials are, and look, they're just not up to the task. They're not up to the task. Governor Abbott decided that it was more important to rile up his base and to have short-term economic security than to figure out what to do in the long term. And the other thing that's so annoying about this is we have been saying on this podcast, Americans across the country have been saying this, this wasn't a point we came up with, if you don't control the pandemic, you can't revive the economy. It's not the pandemic or the economy. These things are inextricably linked. Chip Roy the other day was going on, I, I don't know, no one's at restaurants. This is an outrage. Right, no one's at restaurants because, frankly, they don't want to be around people like you, Chip, who haven't worn a mask, who don't take this seriously. 
accepts Antoinette, as we learned. <laughs> he actually does take this seriously. How did we learn that? You you pointed this out yesterday. Well, he's not sure what to do about visiting his dad, his parents, his elderly parents whom he hasn't seen since March. He's afraid of putting their health at risk by visiting his parents. Wh- whom he hasn't seen since March. So as he is out there saying, everyone needs to go back to work, there's nothing to be afraid of, this is totally overblown, uh, you know, he's also making decisions for his own family at odds with what he's saying. That's right. Well, when we get to the end of the middle section today, I think we might have a little bit more discussion on that. Um, yep. Say as I do. Um, say as I exactly. say, not as I do. Yeah. yeah. So that's where we are with... Um, I mangled that. Do as I say, not as I do. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, right. Yes. Yeah, so I, that's, you know, it's a grim picture. It's grim where we are. And... Uh, I I hate saying I told you so about certain things. This is one where many of us told them so. We were literally calling our state leaders saying this is a mistake. Slow down. Back up. This is not a choice between public health or reopening the economy. Um, As you just said, one is related to the other. One follows on the other. The other um, point I wanted to bring up quickly on the subject of unemployment is that the enhanced unemployment benefits from the CARES Act, which, if you're speaking of Chip Roy, he couldn't even be bothered to vote on. He didn't go to D.C. to vote on it. He wanted everyone else to go back to work while he was sitting at home tweeting. Um, that $600 right enhanced uh uh, federal unemployment benefit from the past few months um it will run out in on july 31st and I, will they renew it chips made clear he he doesn't believe in renewing it and i just also want to point out so this is six hundred dollars a week right mm-hmm. and his objection to this and the objection i've heard from other republicans is that there are people who are making more money off of this unemployment benefit than they would if they went back to work. So this is encouraging people not to work. So in addition to the fact that there's – if you were working 40 hours a week and this $600 benefit – is more than you're making at your actual job. The problem is not with the benefit. The problem is with how we are paying workers in this country. I, I would, you know, Chip loves to say, I implore, I implore my Democratic colleagues to do this. I implore Chip Roy and the Roy family to live off $600 a week. And please get back to us because I can guarantee that a lot of the people who are on that benefit, I would say most of the people, maybe all of the people, work harder at their jobs when they're permitted to have those jobs than Chip Roy does at his job, where, as far as I can tell, loves to write an article for The Federalist, loves to tweet, loves to appear on Tucker Carlson, not so into proposing solutions that keep us safe, Mm -hmm. that keep us secure. So, 
as you can tell, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I am over it with these people. Last thing we'll say pertaining to Texas for a while, Antoinette, that I just wanted to point out is that um, we talked a bunch about Chip Roy's chief of staff on the last episode having a complete and total Twitter meltdown saying racist, inappropriate things to constituents, to taxpayers. Uh, after this behavior, which has been going on for the entire time that Representative Roy has been in office, uh, but after that behavior finally made the paper, thank you, Gilbert Garcia at the San Antonio Express News, Chip announced that uh, the chief of staff has been put on leave as he gets counseling for PTSD from his service as a combat veteran, which, you know, by all means, I hope he gets the help he needs. But I would also point out that the hatred that everyone in that office has for people who disagree with them, the condescension with which they treat constituents starts at the very top and the fish rots from the head. So he's on leave for the time being. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, that's that's that. The fact that it had to take uh, a, you know, a newspaper column to get action on this is stunning in a way. But on the other hand, the chief of staff's boss is the guy who retweeted that everyone on Obamacare was a lazy bitch. Who, right? I mean, who spread conspiracy theories about Ilhan Omar that were Islamophobic, completely made up, and then when they were proven to be completely made up, pretended he'd never done it. So, so let's take just a moment here, though, to assess this going on leave and mm -hmm. public pressure. Um, as individual citizens, our hammering chip about his chief of staff's um, yes, ill treatment of constituents, particularly on social media, fell on deaf ears for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and as soon as he had a public display, everyday people took screenshots. They kept receipts of this. They circulated it. They tagged reporters yes. all around the state in an yeah. attempt for anyone to cover it. That same blog that you just referenced, Living Blue in Texas, they put all of these things together. And then a couple yes. days later, the San Antonio Express News ran the story. So public pressure works. Paying attention works. The things that we're doing work. We just have to make sure that we keep doing them. It does. And I, just, I, I do just want to emphasize for people who maybe didn't hear the last episode that th this was not a we're on the blue team, they're on the red team, we want to you know, get one. Of, we want to get one of them, right? I mean, the, is the it behavior, ever like that? It's never like that. It's never like that. But I just think it's worth pointing out that you know the behavior in any other job. If someone behaved the way Chip Roy's staff behaves regularly to their bosses, and we're their bosses, we're the employers, they're the employees, they'd be out on their butts. So, uh, good to see some action mm -hmm. on that. I don't trust a word out of the representative's mouth. So that sort of 
semi-apologetic statement essentially meaningless to me, but good. Interesting times. Um, A lot of this can be added up and spun back in some of the verbiage that we have heard Chip using a lot lately and conservative folks using a lot lately about mobs. Mm. I could imagine somebody hearing this that might not be a progressive thinker or feeler and going, this is what I'm talking about. They have now canceled Representative Roy's chief of staff. It's this mob mentality. And we are going to take a quick break. We decided in the middle section of the pod today, we were going to talk about a concept called dog whistling and go just a couple levels deeper than a definition off of Wikipedia. So stay tuned for some dog whistling talk. I am feeling so into this is like so intense today. It does it there's a little bit of a feeling I I I say as a, a someone in Texas. I've been in Texas, you know, my entire adult life, but I wouldn't I, I don't say I'm a Texan, but um I mean there there's a little bit of a feeling that things are are have gone way, way off the rails, I'd say in the last few days. If our tone sounds especially intense. It probably means that it's a good thing for us to have three more episodes after today and take a break because we will use that break very wisely, Mm. won't we? We will. Okay, so Antoinette, you are going to talk about um, dog whistling. What is dog whistling? Yes. Um, For viewers who, listeners who may not have heard that phrase before. Dog whistling is a political jargon phrase, and if you've heard previous episodes that we've done. Very recently, we talked about business jargon, and we poked a little bit of fun at various phrases that some of us know from the corporate world that I personally would love to see retire and us never go back to. And we mentioned a couple of them on that recording, like circling back, putting things in the parking lot, um, whether or not we have enough bandwidth uh, that perhaps we should chase the low-hanging fruit at the end of the day so oh, as I, not to disrupt um, yes. a- our and current I would just product say, line, right? A few different people have claimed, without personal knowledge of the situation, but a few listeners have claimed that perhaps I misremembered and that when I said put it in the ice box, I mm-hmm. meant put it on ice. But mm-hmm. I swear I worked with a woman who would tell me to put tangents into the icebox and if anyone else has ever heard this phrase i did google it after i started hearing pushback there is no record of this phrase anywhere so either i misremembered it or perhaps she didn't understand the phrase in the initial Mm -hmm. anyways Let's put that in the icebox. We'll put it in the parking lot. What is your point? I, I think we need to put it in the icebox and get that trending. Uh, my point is that progressive politics also has a shorthand. And shorthand is always supposed to be intended to um, speak longer conceptual things in, sh- in in small packages in short ways. But sometimes the accumulation of these progressive buzzwords, it mm-hmm. just weighs on me. Just buzzwords in general weigh on me. 
I feel like if there's already a simple way to say something, just say it that way. And and why get into, you know, extra, um, just more reading and research and making sure you're using these new terms well, which is one of the reasons why I was so obsessed with the gaslighting concept, really mm-hmm. getting down to the bottom of it and understanding how people are using it, when they're using it correctly or not, and whether or not I'm going to start using it, whether it really does represent something for which another word doesn't already exist. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, I do think that gaslighting is a different thing from just lying a lot. Um, and so, of course, you can listen to that episode if you'd like to get more. But in progressive politics, gaslighting is just one of the terms that we have come to know very well in the past three and a half years. But some other terms that you probably remember are like greenwashing, cultural appropriation, virtue signaling, intersectional feminism, allyship, and and dog whistling is another one. So before I ever use any of those terms, I really feel like I need to understand what they mean and why as progressive activists we need to use them. So I reject almost all business jargon, but I've come to learn that there is truly some political jargon that's not so much jargon as maybe um, terms that come from like academic worlds that are Mm -hmm. making their way into popular culture for a reason. And one example of that would be gender non-binary. I didn't really understand that word until the last few years, that term. Mm -hmm. Um, But I get it now and I understand why we need it and that there really is no other thing that we used to say that encompasses what that means. So um, in that vein, right, I I decided I wanted to go down this dog whistling path. I'm hearing that so much in the anti-racism dialogue, you know, dog whistling, uh, so-and-so. Well, Chip Roy has been accused of dog whistling many times, and I wanted to get down to the real meaning. What does it mean? Um, why does no other phrase or word substitute for it? So I want to list for you just three quick resources. I want to comment on each of them. I'm not going to quote from any of them through this. They were more sort of trying to help me understand the container that we were going to be having this conversation in. But the first one is a Vox article by Ian Olisoff, and it's called Offensive Political Dog Whistles. You know them when you hear them. Or do you? This is probably a really great opening piece for those of you who have heard also like me the term dog whistling. You kind of get a sense as to what it is, but you really want to understand how it works. Um, He takes a little bit more of an academic approach to it, and he actually breaks it down into like three categories of dog whistles, and then he gives examples of each. It's not a perfect piece for me from start to finish, but I think it is a really good, fairly comprehensive entry point. Um, The second resource that I want to share with you is from LitHub. This is actually an excerpt uh, from A People's Guide to Making All Black Lives Matter by Tahama Lopez Bunyasi and Candace Watts-Smith. And the title of this uh, piece on LitHub is On Dog Whistle Politics, Gaslighting, and Other Contemporary Political Tools. So helpful not just on dog whistling, but on all of these other buzzwords, why they're important and what they mean. Very, very, very good. And from the perspective of people of color, which is great. 
Um, the third resource is one that I'm mentioning because it has been cited in so many online pieces on dog whistling. And this is written by, I believe, well, then his name is Ian Haney Lopez, and I believe that he is a Berkeley professor. Um, the title of this book is Dog Whistle Politics, How Coded Racial Appeals Have Reinvented Racism and Wrecked the Middle Class. So again, I have not read this book. I have just read about 10 different articles that draw on this book. So it appears to me to be the contemporary like touchstone for dog whistling. So um, you might want to check any or all of those out. We will link to those in the show notes. Um, I always like to start with a good definition of dog whistling. And there are a lot out there that touch on pieces of things. Ironically, um, dictionary.com gives the, to me, the best definition. Um, before we get to that, though, uh, dog whistling is just a metaphor um, referencing how dog whistles work, because when someone blows into a dog whistle, the resulting sound comes out at a frequency that dogs can hear, but humans cannot hear. So with that in mind, Dictionary.com says a dog whistle is a political message that, and now I'm quoting, conveys a controversial secondary message understood only by those who support the message. So on the surface, there is a literal message that seems harmless if all you're doing is trying to understand the words that are coming to you. And then there's a coded or a, a hidden message based on what that phrase might imply. Um, so before we go any further, um, Lucas, any random thoughts that are coming to you right now? Anything that you would like to add to this? I have, uh, you know, I'm not a linguist here, but I do have a, a little bit of a theory about this term. Ooh, yes. So you, I'm most used to thinking about this term when it comes to racism and race, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a long history of Republicans doing things to show that they are cool with white supremacy, but cannot come out and say that from Ronald Reagan giving you know his speech in Philadelphia, Mississippi, on and on and on. We can think of many examples. Um, or even to something like what got the chief of staff in trouble in part was his insistence, and this is something the representative does as well, on calling black people thugs, right? Thug. Uh, definitely. I, see, I don't know if this is considered a dog whistle, but there's certainly a racial connotation there. Yes. And I, here's my only thing, is that I do wonder sometimes if dog whistles when it comes to race are actually just regular whistles that some people have chosen not to hear. And by that I mean clearly when <laughs> when Republicans use that term thug, right? That riles up their mm -hmm. their base mm -hmm. um and the racism that motivates some of their base voters, many of their base voters, maybe all mm -hmm. of their base voters, uh, maybe not, but probably. Um, but are we really to believe that the rest of us don't also know what that means? I mean, I think there is sometimes a tendency in the media to play this game of pretending that 
what people are saying, particularly on the right side of the aisle, isn't what they're actually saying. And, you know, he might have meant this. He might have meant this. Who knows? <laughs> so not that's not to say don't use the phrase. I mean, I have no opinion on the phrase itself. I mm-hmm. would just say I do think some of the times that we see quote-unquote dog whistles mm-hmm. – I think more people are in on it than maybe are letting on. Yeah. You and I had a a conversation (laughs) a couple days ago offline. Um, I I don't remember if it was in preparation for one of these or a different discussion, but Mm -hmm. we talked about whether or not people, and I think in that specific instance we were talking about, Chip and his team, Mm -hmm. um, whether they really believe the things that they're saying or they're living in this fantasy land. And um, I don't know. Uh, Well, whether they, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Whether they believe what they're saying or whether everything is just a debate point to try to get the rhetorical upper hand. Right. And, you know, is Chip Roy really spending his time? weeping over statues that he probably never visited and didn't know existed in the first place and were not built at the time uh you know Mm -hmm. you know confederate statues built Mm -hmm. during the jim crow era yeah decades and decades later to rewrite history uh i don't know well i feel like there's a there's a tie back. I don't know if I can make it right now in this podcast, mm-hmm. but let's just <laughs> what's the what's the um the business jargon phrase? Let's put a pin in it. Is that the Oh yes, we'll put a pin in it. Let's put a pin in it and see if we can come back to that at the end cool. of this discussion. That was yep. that was super smooth. Um, Lucas, you just brought up the history of dog whistling and you mentioned Reagan, and I was sort of shocked to find out, although you may have known this, you probably knew this. Um, political dog whistling goes back to 1960s civil rights era politics. And there was an incendiary interview with the famed legendary bad boy Republican political strategist Lee Atwater in 1981. Is any of this ringing a bell for you, Lucas? Yes. Okay. Um, so that interview was in 1981 had been recorded and was not revealed in its entirety until like 2012, like available in audio format long after Lee Atwater had died. Um, But I want to read some of that transcript, um, the quote from Lee Atwater, because he says it so, so well and so concisely. He starts out with, y'all don't quote me on this. You can start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. By 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. Backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now. You're talking about cutting taxes and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things. And a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. And subconsciously, maybe that is part of it. 
I'm not saying that, but I am saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, that we are doing away with a racial problem one way or the other. You follow me, because obviously sitting around and saying we want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing and a hell of a lot more abstract than N-word, N-word. And he's obviously actually saying the He's word. saying he's that. Saying I won't there. say the word. Right, but no, of course. Yes, but. in the interview, he is saying the word. This is all by design. This is all by design. Well, of course. And so all of when we hear welfare, right, that is supposed to connote uh, or, or, you know, conjure certain images mm-hmm. uh, that don't include white farmers getting subsidies. Sure. Welfare queens. In- welfare right, queens. That, that don't include, you yeah. know, a white congressman sitting around for 18 months collecting taxpayer money while mm-hmm. doing no work mm-hmm. literal well <laughs> you know right right I, 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 uh not literal welfare literal um i don't know well no maybe is. it is um all, all that said i did not know for instance until doing this research that the term states rights was a dog whistle oh yeah i did oh, yeah. not know that i mean as someone who lobbies at the Texas state capitol primarily um, and advocates there and shows up there and interacts with state-level um, legislators, I did not know that. And states' rights versus federal rights was something – like when we talk about Medicaid expansion in Texas, you know, states' rights, uh, that's where that term has meaning for me. So this is all this is all new to me. Well, and I think this is why – the way we teach history is so important because right. what you're saying that states' rights is a dog whistle, this isn't like some fringe conspiracy theory. I mean, it just is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. it's that has been, you know, a dog whistle with specific meanings for generations. Yes. And the fact that we can't acknowledge that and thus can't teach that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean Yeah. It it is a problem for ever. You're right. This was forward. not in my history textbook. That is for sure. Um, I want to move on to the practical application of dog whistling. Um, our congressman Chip Roy published an op-ed this week in the Federalist. Oh God! So I read it. I took it apart in my head. This was before we decided on dog whistling today. And um, I asked myself, why does he only seem to publish op-eds in national publications and not in newspapers in the district? I mean, I remember like one or two in the Statesman. I think there might have been one in the San Antonio Express News. I'm not sure that he's written any op-eds in the small papers in the eight rural counties, seven rural counties where... Um, you know, that are included in the district. But that was national, the first question. National far-right publications. Um, so that's the deal. Mostly he's publishing in conservative outlets, and the ones that I've seen him repeatedly writing and contributing to are Fox News, The Federalist, and Washington Examiner. So you'll mm-hmm. be happy to know, Lucas, that I went back to our little ad fonts uh, media bias yeah. chart that we talked about several episodes ago, and I mapped yes. them to the chart. Fox mm. News and The Federalist are hyper-partisan right, 
and less reliable as news sources on the factual scale. Right. Washington Examiner skews right, so it's not quite as far right as those two. And it's one square less less reliable than Fox and Federalist. Note that I didn't say it's one square more reliable. I said it's less, less reliable than Fox and Federalist. I mean, these publications are all garbage. I'm sorry, but... In my quick search, he's had one op-ed in The Hill and one in Newsweek. In fact, uh, one of his more recent ones was about reopening the co- the economy, and that one was in Newsweek. Um, what I can tell you is that when he has published op-eds in the Austin paper, he gets responses right away from progressive constituents. Right. Which I'm thinking is probably his number one reason for avoiding the Austin American statesman, which means that if he's going to the Federalist over and over and over again, he knows the audience that he's talking to. So I printed out and I took my bright yellow uh, highlighter to this op-ed, Rep. Chip Roy, it's time for Republicans to stand up for America already. And I'll just read the opening statement so you get a sense as to what the content of this is. The United States of America is starting to resemble a target in Minneapolis overrun by lawless mobs and left for dead by the very leaders charged with upholding the rule of law. Um, Wait a a second, Antoinette. You're saying mm -hmm. that a person who starts an op-ed like that would have a chief of staff who just spouts vile and incendiary nonsense 24-7? I can't. Oh, my goodness. What a- You can see how one leads the other. That is for sure. Um, he goes on for what is essentially about three, two and a half, three printed pages. I should have done a word count on this. I didn't. Um, what I did do is count how many dog whistles were included in this. Now, that is probably, um, you know, a very subjective that can be a very subjective thing. So I erred on the side of conservative. Um, there were certain words that I feel like if I heard him saying them, I could hear the sneer in his voice and the connotation and the hidden code that he was going for. But I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt and I did not isolate them. Twenty seven dog whistles. And a lot of them are variations of each other. I, I just want to call out some of those that really got my um, my attention. And of course, you've seen some of these in his tweet. And just to be, j- just to be clear, this is what he's talking about here, what the article is about, is his allegedly profound upsetness about statues being taken down. This is not right? about statues. This is about law and order. But, uh, but I'm just. But if you look at the photo at the top of the of the article, it's it is a statue being taken down, right? There is a statue, but it's it's the way that he talks about it. It's more about um, looters, and he doesn't use thugs. I don't think in this art this op ed, but looters right. uh, vandalizing. But it's not okay, about like preserving them. I um, see. Okay, this really is about law and order. And so, on that note, when you look at some of the dog whistles, they're very predictable for Chip. Radical leftists, his new favorite Marxist agenda. He's got a lot of agenda in here. Lots and lots of different variations on agenda. But my point is, twenty-seven dog whistles. Twenty-seven. Um, pre this episode and my research for it. I might have just chalked all of that up to 
uh, laziness. And now I'm starting to understand it's probably not just laziness, because then I went to his op-ed for The Hill. This is from September 20th, 2019. And The Hill, for those of you that may not be regular readers of that, uh, pretty much falls squarely in the middle of left-right spectrum on that ad fonts media bias chart, and they are considered factual. Um, So he wrote this op-ed called Why Congress Should Clarify Our Mission in the Middle East. And when I went through with my same highlighter to identify uh, dog whistles, I counted five. And really, two of them, I don't know that I would necessarily classify as dog whistles and more just lazy, conservative, patriotic lingo, such as warriors and patriots. Um, But all of the dog whistles were included very early, and they were all sort of to, um, I don't want to say he was inciting fear, but it's a a familiar dog whistle to incite fear among conservatives that there's global terror happening that, you know, we need to have a beefed up military to counter. Um, So it just seems to me that it comes down to this issue of intentionality And we've talked about intentionality, like on the episode of disinformation versus misinformation, where disinformation is deliberately misleading through untruths, whereas misinformation is like accidentally just making a mistake and and delivering an untruth. Um, I feel like dog whistling is very similar, like there's a lazy way out and shortcutting things. And then there's this hidden messaging and the fact that he would so clearly fill his federalist op-ed with dog whistles and that really he doesn't have very many at all in his the hill op-ed he he knows exactly what he's doing i don't think he's living in fantasy land i think he knows that he wants one set of rules to apply to him and his people Um, And those rules mean that they can operate autonomously um, with no accountability, right? And that everybody else is going to be held to a completely different standard. Yeah, I mean, there's just – I mean, I agree. He he also had a video up yesterday or two days ago standing in front of – a statue and saying, I, we must defend this statue from the lawless mobs and yada, yada, yada. This is, he's in the middle of a, a park. It's a beautiful day. There's literally a person happily, like with a stroller walking right behind him. I mean, the amount of not actually seeing what's happening in front of your own eyes to take anything he's saying seriously is so, so high. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I would just say I think I think this has been helpful in terms of if this was something you didn't know to be on the lookout for, um, be on the lookout for it. I mean, I think this is this really gets at a lot of I'm changing my mind on something I said even in this very episode, Antoinette, <laughs> because of what you've because of this. Which is that, remember I said, you know, maybe they're just whistles? Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, I guess not. Because I do think that there's, oh, look at this, a revelation happening in real time. Um, Bring us back. Bring us home. 
No, something like states' rights is is a great example that if you're not educated in the racial coding that Republicans use, um, you really may not know the subtext of a phrase like that. I I think the I think for an example like thug, th- I, I think thug may have been too obvious an example at this point that mm-hmm. I think more and more people are kind of more and more non-black people specifically white people are attuned to the subtext of that who mm-hmm. who perhaps weren't before but but I I you know I think it's it's they have a language and they use it for a reason so they do and that friends is dog whistling so we are going to take a break And when we come back, we will wrap up our grab bag with some recommendations for you. Fantastic. Antoinette, what are we recommending for the weekend? This week was not a great relaxing week for me. I had a lot of stuff going on. So I'm going to mention the one thing that we really did enjoy Um we took time out. I really focused on spending time with the family, not doing things on my phone or simultaneously playing Animal Crossing while we were doing this as a family. And then we had a really good debrief at the end. Um, we have a teenager who, um, prior to his being born, both my husband and I liked movies a lot. We liked going to the movies a lot. We still mm. enjoy movies now. Um, when he was born, we didn't really go see as many. We've seen some at home. But now that he's an older teen, um, we feel like we want to continue introducing him to classics. So one of the classics he had never watched, and frankly, I had not watched since I was a teenager, is mm. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, great one. It I mean, was wonderful creepy. watching it again. Super creepy. Um, there is a line in the movie. Do you remember it rubs lotion on its skin? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I have I, I remember the whole thing. Well, my my husband had just said that to me a couple of days earlier when I was applying lotion to my legs. <laughs> oh my god! And so that made for a nice, fun little familial anecdote as well. Yes, um, that you know you he, you can't sit in the living room and apply any lotion to your legs without somebody did, quoting. Did the teenager like Silence of the Lambs? I'm I'm guessing yes. He did. He did. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's very honest when things don't stand the test of time. Uh, he's been very critical of, for instance, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, oh, you know what's so funny? Greg and I just tried to rewatch that and i thought i don't know if this holds up really he he said that and then he said in retrospect he was like i'm not sure if it doesn't hold up because it wasn't good to begin with or because so many movies since then have done the things that are in that movie that he's seen them done already i feel like that's such a a, like fun part of film education that like we've talked about a lot of you you something you see a movie and it doesn't seem so great but then it inspired 50 mm-hmm. 70 a thousand movies true, um, so true. very cool cool yeah so that's that's my recommendation for the week one way to unwind and get your mind off things because even though there's a global pandemic and a national recession and we have 
um, you know, clueless people not leading us very well, um, at least we're not being, you know, thrown down a well by a serial killer. So there's that. That's true. I'm going to have American <laughs> Girl stuck in my head for the rest of the day. Um, Lucas, what's going on for you? What do you have to recommend this week? Okay, I have three recommendations. None of them are relaxing. I'm going to go through them really quickly. The okay. first is actually a call to action that I meant to give at the beginning of the episode, and then two recommendations. But these are things you can do this weekend. So I did just want to mention, I got a very useful email from a friend of mine this week. N- not, as far as I know, a listener of the show, but he was just pointing out that, and this was a, you know, to to more than more than one person, that after all of this um, talk of p- policing in the news and APD and all of this, this is a local friend here in Austin. You know, this has faded a little bit from the front pages, and so he was just sending a reminder that he was. Uh, contacting his council member once a week, you know, put it in the calendar, today's the day, to write or call my council member to ask that uh, APD be uh, defunded by $100 million. They're going to be debating the budget in the next couple months. And I just thought this would just, it was a good reminder for me, good reminder for everyone listening, that any of these issues don't go away when it's not the thing on the news. So Mm -hmm. it's just really important we keep at it. So Mm -hmm. I will be following, since I live in Austin, that um, advice. And if you're one of those people who is doing something like that, I do recommend. I thought it was great to get that reminder email. He included some language that he's using, not so that it would be copied directly, but just, you know, to get the brain moving okay cultural recommendations ready ready one netflix we zoomed through lennox hill did you watch lennox hill no follows four different doctors at a hospital in new york um from pre-covid and then on wednesday they so it's an eight episode sort of docu series it's really it's better than I mean, it is, I guess, reality TV, but it it has more of like a documentary um, quality, Love. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also did a special half-hour episode that reacquainted us with the doctors during coronavirus. Um, and it was really... I thought the whole thing was powerful. I recommend it. Okay. It's not relaxing. I also liked it because as a lot of the footage they show from from COVID times is in March. Mm -hmm. And as Texas politicians have tried to rewrite history about what we knew and when we knew it, I just think it's such a great historical document Mm -hmm. to also have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to recommend is a documentary that we watched the other day. Um, on HBO called Bully Coward Victim, the story of Roy Cohn. Hmm. Have you seen this, Antoinette? No. It is made unbelievably by the granddaughter of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, who were executed in part because of Roy Cohn, who, if you've seen 
Angels in America, if you know much about Donald Trump's early history, you know is one of the most evil <laughs> people <laughs> in American history. It's just it's it's a really well done documentary, and it also I think does a nice job of helping to explain some things about how we got to where we are wow. now. I remember we turned it off and I was thinking, so in addition to all of the other horrible things about Donald Trump, he's not even slightly original because he's basically <laughs> taken all of the strategies and eccentricities of this horrible person mm-hmm. and retrofitted it to himself. So mm-hmm. I would recommend any of those. Again, I'm someone who sometimes in times of crisis, chaos, etc., actually likes to lean in to that with my viewing, reading, watching. I don't know if, that anything that you or I have recommended is particularly light since the start of this podcast and the weekend graphics. Stop making sense is light. Okay. I don't know if it's light, but it's fun. Okay. All right. But that's like <laughs> one out of like 20 things you've recommended. Yeah, we're yeah. <laughs> we're we're a morbid people, but we're morbid people. We are going to wrap up season one next week, which means we have three episodes ahead. Um, so let's talk about what's in store. Monday, we will be jumping into an unanswered question from a previous episode. So if you want to remove a feder- Confederate monument, what could you do with it? And with just a tiny bit of inquiry, I found that lots of museum curators have had ideas for years about this. So um, I will be leading an episode Monday to talk more about Confederate monuments and what happens next. What about you, Lucas? Ooh, Wednesday's going to be a... uh, going to have to not drink too much coffee before Wednesday. So I, as we've we've talked about a couple of times, have been following very closely our... uh, congressman's social media activity for the last year year and a half both um as an activist and just as a private citizen who cares about what's happening in our country Mm -hmm. uh so on wednesday i'm going to talk about what i learned from doing that and also how it applies to people in other districts so i think i i learned some things about how he communicates and the issues that are important to him that I think are instructive going into November 2020. Can't get here soon enough. Please get here. And then Friday, we'll have our final grab bag, little send off. And then we're going to take a few weeks off. Which means next week is going to sizzle, friends. It's going to sizzle. In the meantime, let us know what's keeping you together and what's keeping you company during this pandemic. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at OhThisWorldPod. And you can always email us at OhThisWorldPod at gmail.com. Our podcast is on all of the channels now. I don't think I can think of one that we're not on. So please tell a friend to listen to us and wherever you happen to listen. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Um, Everyone, have a great weekend. Lucas, have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye.